I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, April 24th, 2021, and this is episode 117 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So just a reminder that you can email me with questions at podcast at lpenelope.com. And I think I will start answering a few of them each week, starting next week, because I did not prepare (laughs) to do it this week. So this week's best thing. There are several good things that happened. Um, I'm not going to go with the verdict in the George Floyd case. I don't know that this week's best thing should be the conviction of a murderer, (laughs) the actual uh, justice happening, although it was something that I was grateful for that happened this week. Um, but yeah, just the bare minimum of justice is, I mean, I'm not celebrating, because uh, it was like that SNL skit, I think it was last week or the week before, where they were talking about, you know, the trial, and it was like these news anchors on the skit, too white and too black. And the white people were like, oh yeah, he's definitely getting convicted, and the black people were like, mm, I wouldn't say that, because, <laughs> you know, if, if it had gone the other way, I don't think anyone would have really been surprised. But gratitude, all the same. Still, um, I read this really cool article this morning about, well, it wasn't a really cool article because it was a obituary, but it was about this man who, who was Australian, who was 90 years old, who had passed away. And he had, in his youth, in the 60s, discovered six teenage boys who had been abandoned on, or had been like shipwrecked on an island for 15 months. And it was a real life Lord of the Flies situation. But I saw it first in a tweet where they were like, it's real life Lord of the Flies, but it happened exactly the opposite of the book. They worked together really well. They created this community. They had rules and chores and um, they prayed every morning and they had music. And that really made me have a little bit more faith in humanity. Because <laughs> you read all this awful things. Um, and it's something I had never heard about. I mean, I guess it was a big deal in the 60s, but it hadn't made it into the zeitgeist after that until maybe a couple of years ago. I think there was like a podcast about it and they, the, the remaining uh, men who are in their seventies now optioned their story for a film. So hopefully it'll be a film soon. They were Tongan originally. And so it was a, some kind of island off the, off of Tonga somewhere, a hundred miles away. And this Australian man who just passed away had been an adventurer and had found them. And then after he found them, he ended up hiring all six of them to be sailors with him on his adventures and, it was just a really cool story. So that is tied with this week's best thing, because that story just made me, it warmed my heart. It made me feel good about people. The fact that, you know, these teenage boys could create something decent, could survive in a positive way. Like one of them broke his leg and they said it and he was okay. And it just sounded like it was a terrible story that had a happy ending and that they all went on to have, you know, apparently decent lives. So that's always good to hear. Having faith in humanity is often difficult, but I think that filling your mind with good news as opposed to just the terrible news that you hear all the time is one way to try to beat back the pessimism and the fatalism that is so easy to have. I also really enjoyed the season finale of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney+. Plus. I haven't really enjoyed the show that much. <laughs> like The last two episodes made it clear why having you know, Black people as the showrunners Black, when some of the producers, writers are Black. And it shows, especially in how they handled the Black issues. And so having people behind the scenes in positions of power 
in Hollywood that can tell their own stories, the stories of their people and their community is so important. And so while the show was really uneven for me and sometimes boring, the end, they stuck the landing really well. It was emotionally satisfying by the end. And that last episode, you know, while still having issues, I, I, I think that it showed what they were trying to do with the show. And I really liked it. I really appreciated it. And um, I can look back on on the show, the flawedness, <laughs> the flawed nature of the show, just a little bit more fondly because the landing and the ending was was well done, in my opinion. So that's also a good thing this week. In my writing update, um, I am working on drafting the new paranormal romance. Um, so I was thinking a lot about a tweet I saw several weeks ago from author C.L. Polk, and she asked something like, how do you know when you're ready to start writing a character? And a lot of people answered things like, you have to know their goal, you have to know what they want, uh, you have to know what's missing in their lives. And I was thinking about it because I wasn't quite sure what do I need to know before I can start writing. And as I'm, you know, working on this, starting the the first, not the first draft, but this new draft, it took me a little while to sink in to be able to start writing. And I had to hear the voice. And so I wrote like the first three chapters this week, and I wasn't happy with them because I wasn't really hearing the voice. And so I did something that I don't usually do that I tell myself not to do, that I've told others to warn me if I'm doing, which is I revised before moving forward. There are a couple of reasons why. Like I had scheduled down that I'm doing the fast draft this month or in a month. I'm going to take four weeks to do the fast draft. That seems like enough time to do a a fast, like a zero draft, which is you you write forward, you get to the end without looking back. And I wasn't able to do that. I've been revising the whole time as I go which is usually a mistake. And so I, I checked in with myself to be like, okay, am I making a mistake here? Why am I feeling like this is the thing I need to do? And I think because with this particular story, which is the paranormal romance that I've been, I first conceived of in 2016, and I've been working on on and off since then, I've had several different drafts, uh, very different ways of going, but I've had the core story in my mind and the core of the story hasn't changed while everything else around it kind of has. But because I've written it, I've written a full fast draft before, and I I know that it is a mistake to go back and look at that those words. I'm writing it from scratch, but I'm writing it from scratch already having had a fast draft. So I don't need to tell myself the story, which is what the fast draft is about. It's about telling yourself, making sure that, you know, from beginning to end, you know what's happening. I know what's happening. I've known for years so I was like, oh, I don't need to fast draft this. This is an exception to my rule. That's why I've been revising, because I, I what I need to do is get a grasp on the character voices, especially since I'm writing in first person now, dual first person. So the hero and heroine each have their POV. And the first couple of times through it, they were both way too much alike. They were both very bland. The personality wasn't coming through. And I had to keep at it until I felt like I know who they are. I know how they sound. I know what makes them different in terms of just word choice and sentence length, things like that, voice, all this voicey stuff. I had already figured out the personalities, but the personality, they, those personalities weren't coming through in what I was writing. And so I spent a couple of days 
just going back over and over the first these first three chapters until I felt better about it because I was really feeling terrible. <laughs> like, oh, I know, I know this is technically the first draft of this new version, but you know, and first drafts feel bad, but I was hitting up against some serious resistance that was coming from not within me, but was coming from the work and the process. And every book requires a different process. So like this with a story that I've lived with for so long. And even though I'm coming at these characters from a different perspective with slightly different backstories and personalities, I know the story and I know what has to happen. So yeah, I um, I think what I have to know to start writing and to continue writing is really the voice, how they sound in my head or how their personalities and experiences affect their voice. So I decided my heroine, she's a very bright person. It's almost like a grumpy sunshine story. So she's the sunshine. And she is thrown into this new world. So it's a portal, portal fantasy where she's taken from our world. She's thrown into a world full of shifters. But because of her backstory, I wanted to flip it. So in the normal portal, they're like, how do I get home? And initially, that's what the story was for a long time. And then in this new iteration, I'm like, oh, wait, what if she doesn't want to get home? What if here is better? Like, home was so bad that she sees all the wonderful possibilities of this new world and this new life. And so I'm coming at it from that perspective, which is a little bit of a flip on the portal. And also, it just requires and you, to buy that, to buy that, you know, you have this person who's in this world where these shifters are warring and it's this crazy new place and it's also post-apocalyptic and she wants to be here. That's a very specific person from a very specific set of circumstances and that writing a bubbly, positive, optimistic, sunshiny character is a stretch, is a challenge for me. Um, but I like the challenges, like, Ella in Song of Blood and Stone, she's not really bubbly, but she's more definitely extroverted. And that was a challenge to write someone who was actively charming. Like I, my goal with writing that character was, was to write someone who was charming and positive and brought light to everyone. And so this character, her name is Talia, is similar in certain ways. She's going to approach everything as like, how can I make the best of the situation? How can I brighten those around me? Um, even in the face of, you know, horrible circumstances, violence, all of that. And getting her voice right was really important because moving on without having done that wouldn't have made a lot of sense. It would have just been way more passes than needed to be. Like if I can get it now and hold it all the way through, then the future passes, I'll have less to do. So that was the writing challenge this week. I took Friday off of writing. I'm supposed to write today. I should have done it first thing in the morning, as always. Always write first, because even though it's only noon right now as I'm recording this, I'm feeling a lack of energy. But I'm going to push myself and get at least, let's say, 500 words. I'll make a small goal, and hopefully I will blow past that. But if I can get 500 words today, I will feel accomplished and hopefully get back in the groove. In publishing tasks and news... Um, I'm releasing the collection of Earth Singer novellas in May. So I've been laying those out in vellum for the ebooks and the print books. And I had to do the cover. So I mentioned I got the cover art. I had to put the typography on it and lay out the print 
spread for the print book, get those uploaded onto KDP Print for Amazon and Ingram Spark for everyone else. And I ran into a snag, a challenge that I had not anticipated. So when you self-publish a print book, um, there's the two main companies, uh, KDP Print, Ingram Spark. Draft Digital has a print thing. I think it's still in beta, is it? I had signed up for the beta a long time ago, and I don't think I heard anything back. So I might enter it in that when that becomes available to me. Uh, but for right now, I'm putting it on two places. And they are different. They have different trim sizes. So the size, the physical dimensions of the book are the trim size. There are standard trim sizes. And, and I don't know who they're standard to, but because publishers can kind of do whatever they want. Like if you can see, if you're on the video, the bookshelf behind me, books come in all different sizes. <laughs> My goal was for this, since it's part of the series, it's part of Ursula Chronicles, to be able to sit next to the the Orson Chronicles books on the shelf and be the same size. Of course, the paperbacks of the Orson Chronicles are not at a standard size for Amazon or for Ingram. They are at a size that neither of them really supports, which I found out this week. So I got as close as I could. The spine, the height will be the same. So if it's on the shelf, ideally the height will be the same. The width uh, is going to be different because it just didn't, I couldn't do it. So the size that I got closest to is available on Ingram Spark, but not on Amazon. On Amazon, I can do a custom size, which means I have to completely create the template for the cover custom, because when you do one of the sizes they have, you can just download the template, put it in Photoshop or wherever, and design the cover. So I spent a long time creating my own template. I finally, I downloaded the template that was closest, and then I had to to cut it up, and I figured that hopefully it would be okay. But it was just extra time and um, drama, slight drama that I didn't anticipate. So I got that done and then I, I uploaded them. So I'm going to get the proofs, the print proofs of both books, the same book from both places, because they come out differently. Uh, that's always fun. But that's moving moving forward. It's moving ahead. I figured it out. The books are not going to be exactly the same size, but if they're sitting on a shelf... I did the best that I could. <laughs> Some of these things are just much harder than you think they're going to be. And that's when, as much as I don't like to claim being a perfectionist, it's obvious that with certain things, like I just wanted it to be the same. I wanted to have that um, consistency and I couldn't. The novella's book, the collection is 105,000 words, which I had no idea. I am including the extra epilogue for Cry of Merlin Bone in both of them, which you can get now only through signing up for my newsletter. And so, yeah, it's technically four. It's like a bonus. You get the three novellas plus that short story that is the extra epilogue. And it's just way bigger than I... I hadn't thought about how much, how long it would be. Uh, but each of the novellas is, you know, twenty-five to 30,000 words. So it makes sense. Uh, it's just going to be a good-sized book that I'm happy to put together and, and get out there. So that is what I've been working on. Healthy writer update. So last week I talked about my ulnar nerve and the problems I've been having. I've had a lot of improvement through changing my behavior and um, just being very vigilant about it to the point where like I, I lean on my elbow a lot. You know, like I just like lean and whenever I find myself doing that, I stop, I put my arms down. So I haven't had any numbness in my hands. 
And um, I haven't really had any numbness in my elbow. It still feels weird. Like it's still an issue that's a strange, tingly feeling. But I do think that I've gotten a lot of improvement. So that is very relieving. We just got to continue to do that, continue to take the breaks, monitor my position, and probably spend less time on the computer. I'm really... I really do want to reduce my workload a little bit. I think that's important for my physical health and my mental health. And so, yeah, I'm going to be looking at ways to do that. I don't want to write any less, so it's going to have to come from the work side. And hopefully I can increase my income with the publishing to replace like making fewer websites. I think I'm going to tell some of my clients that the summer, like no new sites, I'll do maintenance, I'll continue because I have a lot of maintenance and maintenance is a big part of my business too. But whenever you make a new website, then you're going to maintain that one and it adds to the maintenance concerns. And one of the reasons why I was so busy a few weeks ago was that like one day I got three like emergency maintenance issues with three different websites. And, you know, you never know when that's going to happen, but if you have more clients than you can maintain, then that's a problem. And technically I'm not taking new clients, but I haven't been doing that for years. And I, I still kind of do here and there. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Or I only take projects from existing clients, not new people. But anyway, I am trying to make a better balance so that I can maintain my health and do the things I really want to be doing. I still enjoy making websites. I enjoy the challenge of it. And I like a lot of aspects of it. But I want to be able to continue doing this for a long time. So something has to give. And I don't want the writing to give because I, I do like that more. And I, I feel more fulfilled from doing that also. Shout out to Library Addict for recommending getting a reading pillow so that I can, you know, not have to hold the Kindle. That's a fantastic idea. I had a dream about a reading pillow too a couple of nights ago. Like I, I was, I'd been looking for one to, to buy. And in the dream, like I had one in my closet and it was just this really cool thing that doesn't exist in real life <laughs> that you can flip up. So, you know, but the reading pillow is like a kind of a triangular shaped pillow that you can set the Kindle on and not have to hold it, which was you know, causing problems for me. So yes, I appreciate that. And then author news or authors behaving badly news. There was a big kerfluffle, I guess, with an author who had responded to a Goodreads review in a very negative way and then doubled down on that. So this author had gotten a 4.5 star review on Goodreads. It's 4.5 out of 5 and had a lot to say about that. I don't even, I read what she said and I don't understand what her problem was. But, you know, she kind of quote tweeted the reviews and um, people accused her of kind of doxing by putting out the reviewer's name and, and stuff like that. And, you know, conventional wisdom is that authors should not respond to reviews. That is what we're going with. It is words to live by. I, I, I recommend don't even read them. Not even the good ones. Because, <laughs> okay, so once she started commenting negatively about these reviews and reviewers and calling them nerds or something, then the reviewers came back and a lot of people went and one-starred her book, which was just coming out that week. And gave it one-star reviews without having read it just as a response to her poor behavior. And she responded and kept doubling down. In increasingly disturbing and volatile ways, like comparing it to rape and Nazis or something. It was very bizarre. But why I mention it, other than just ignoring it, is because there is something buried within this. 
When someone does something that you don't agree with, is it okay to one-star their book? Like, is the response to the author's bad behavior to bring the reviews down artificially? Because that happens a lot. I think it's, you know, sort of people exercise the power that they have. And so a reviewer's power is in the reviews. And people often, without having read the book, not as a commentary in the book, but as a commentary on the author, bring those reviews down. Is that right? The author's perspective, from what I understand, to the extent that I understand it, was that I don't have to be nice. <laughs> like, I don't have to behave in a way that you think is acceptable. And regardless of how I behave, uh, I don't deserve for my book to be one-starred. I think that was my interpretation of it. And it became sort of a feminist thing, like, why do women have to be nice and, you know, conform to your expectations? Um, why do we have to be decent? If a man was doing this, would it be different? You know, that kind of thing came into play. And I was like, wow, that's a, that's a place that you can take that. So the kernel of, of question of, you know, that I have is like, is, is the practice of expressing your uh, dismay or displeasure with an author by rating their book poorly? Is that an ethical use of your reviewer powers? I mean, like I said, people, ex- people use the power that they have. At the end of the day, Goodreads is for readers. Reviewers are for readers and not for authors. And, and a reader has a right to monetarily support authors, like whoever they want, and, and to know if they're monetarily, monetarily supporting someone who has viewpoints that they believe are abhorrent, who has behavior that they believe is abhorrent. We all speak with our dollars. Um, so yeah, there's, that's an interesting question to be had. Like, when the review isn't about the book, it's about the person. You know, the whole idea of separating the art from the artist. And there's so many artists who behave badly or criminally, uh, that we have the choice whether or not we support them. Like, will I buy an R. Kelly record? Of course not. Absolutely. But if Step in the Name of Love comes on the radio, am I going to turn it off? I'm of the opinion that that money has not been paid by me and I can still enjoy the song. Might be an unpopular viewpoint, but I'm not. a lot of y'all are dancing when, when R. Kelly comes on. And a lot of y'all are turning off the TV or the radio. I don't know why I said radio. Nobody listens to the radio, but you know. And, and, you know, I think, I think they're both valid choices. I think you gotta do what you can do because none of us can completely, you know, we'd have to live in the woods in a cabin we built with our bare hands to not support any business that we disagreed with and that we thought was harmful to people or the world, you know, so we make the decisions that we can. And, um, you know, I think we just do what we can do. Anyway, that was something I was thinking about. So that's it for me for this week. I hope that you have a wonderful week. My goals for the week are to work on this new book. <laughs> Hopefully get a little further. I My original goal was 12,000 words a week. And I was like, oh, that's very aggressive. I'm going to dial that back. I might dial it back to 8,000 words a week, which is something I can definitely make. So I'll feel good every week when I make it. Like really 10,000 words a week. Um but I'm still assessing my energy level and assessing how things are going and my like my emotions about it are all over the place. And I think once I really feel like I've really dug down and got the voice, I, I'm much further along. I haven't read it in, a, in two days. <laughs> so when I read it again, we'll see how I feel. But yes, 
somewhere between eight to 10 to 12,000 words a week will be the goal. And, uh, follow my schedule, keep up with it, do the best I can do. So we'll see how I do next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcast.